Warm Regards is brought to you by Wonder Capital, an award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest directly in solar energy projects across the U.S. Earn up to 11% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. You can create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com warm. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. Welcome to Warm Regards, a dialogue between the climate scientists, journalists, and people on the front lines of climate change. I'm producer Stephen Lacey, and this week we travel to Mongolia. Environmental reporter Kevin Stark just returned from a six-week journey in Mongolia, where he followed a team of researchers trying to figure out what caused the end of the Ice Age. Their mission is not just about understanding the past. It's about developing a unified theory of the atmospheric system and refining climate models to project future rates of warming. We present Kevin's reporting this week. And make sure to check out his companion piece at Pacific Standard Magazine, where he's written a long feature on his journey in Mongolia. Find it at psmag.com. Now on to the story. It's a clear afternoon in July. Aaron Putnam, a thin scientist with a puff of brown hair, is bouncing along in a truck. He's driving on a dirt road towards Mongolia's Altai Mountains. This is a spectacular place for studying climate. Putnam is a glacial geologist, here to study the demise of the Ice Age. He wants to discover what climate triggers cause abrupt warming. You can tell just by looking at the geomorphology, by looking at this landscape, that there are clues here into how uh, the climate system works and how it jumps between different modes of operation. The Altai Mountains are home to the Patanan Glacier, Mongolia's largest. It's in the middle of a range of dark peaks. Not an easy place to get to, but beautiful. The foothills are covered in thin grass that seem to almost glow at evening light. A day's journey away, a field of ice looms. We're in the, the deep within the heart of the largest continent on Earth where even small changes in the radiation budget of the planet are amplified. And there are glacier systems here that monitor the, uh, that effect on the climate system. And, and in addition, those glaciers have left uh, an immaculate record of, of, their, uh, of their presence in the landscape. Putnam's here to make a record of past climate to determine how the climate system responds to inputs like carbon dioxide. Scientists don't know why the system jumps abruptly. At the end of the ice age, massive glaciers melted, a warming of several degrees. Putnam wants to answer how, why, and what drove this warming roughly 20,000 years ago. An answer that can improve climate models that predict how anthropogenic climate change will affect warming today. He brought a team of assistants, students, guides, and me. I'm an embedded reporter. Through my recordings and interviews, we'll travel with Putnam on the journey around the largest glacier in Mongolia. Not wasting time, the first week, we are drilling into rock. The drill operator is Peter Strand, Putnam's doctoral student. 
Glaciers are great thermometers. As climate changes, the ice recedes and advances, movement that leaves evidence on the landscape, a glacial wake made of debris and granite boulders. The preservation here is, of these glacial landforms is spectacular, really. And that has a lot to do with the, yeah, with the climate. It's not a tropical region. Veget there is some vegetation. The grasses, soils sort of hold the landforms together but it's not so wet that they erode too rapidly. And then that's seen on the landscape that the preservation of boulders, I mean, we would go to a boulder that's 18, 20,000 years old and find original glacial surface on it is really spectacular. And there's not many places in the world where you can find that. The boulders are polished. It reminds me of beach glass, but instead of being rubbed by sand and waves, the rock spent years inside of massive chunks of ice. Now they're smooth and glassy. Strand wants samples of this surface. He takes them from rocks embedded in landforms called moraines. After holes are drilled, he clears the pulverized rock with a red puffy thing. It looks like a balloon. In the holes, he places metal wedges and shims. The wedges are hammered into the rock, which responds with a satisfying crack. Strand pulls away a hunk the size of a dinner plate. They use mountain glaciers as a climate proxy, a source of climate information from a natural archive. Sensitive to changes in atmospheric temperature. Other researchers use tree stumps, corals, or even samples of lake beds. So we can track these temperature changes around the globe. Central Asia has been a big hole in the map of glacial chronology. Good dates have been found in South America and New Zealand, other places in the Southern Hemisphere, places near the Southern Ocean, the world's largest. But here, we're about as far away from an ocean as you can get. They believe that they are the first glacial geologists to work in this park. At least there's no evidence of others. It's an understudied area, extremely isolated. The trip planning alone took months. To get here, it took us five days of driving on dirt tracks, buying sheep from local herders for food. Satellite photos are of poor quality, not enough resolution to make a good map, a crucial tool for dating glaciers. To get these images, in the past, researchers have had to rely on satellites and expensive helicopters, but no longer. Now, they can use drones equipped with high-resolution cameras. The home point has been updated. Please check it on the map. We have one. It's being operated by Mariah Radu, Putnam's student. Well, we're looking at landforms that are they're of a scale that they're hard to understand looking at them standing from the ground and what we get from satellite imagery. They're, they're not very defined. The, there's snow covering them. It's hard to tell what's up and down. The imagery of what we're seeing from uh, 300 meters up allows us just to picture what's happening here. Putnam's students and assistants are doing much of the field work. He oversees the research. The technique that they're using, beryllium-10 surface exposure dating, Putnam actually helped to perfect. So this, yeah, the technique has, has come into its own relatively recently. And, and what this technique has allowed is it's unlocked this incredible paleoclimate archive stored on the landscape uh, that was put there by Earth's mountain glaciers and ice sheets. Uh, you know, glaciers and ice sheets are just 
manifestations of the Earth's climate system on the landscape. And people have been trying to find ways to extract paleoclimate information from these systems of landforms for better part of the past century, but they've been very hard to date. It's We have this program where we can systematically date each and every landform and develop millennial scale and even centennial scale chronologies for uh, past glacier advances and re recessions. And, um, and that's the key to unlocking the secret of abrupt climate change. The granite samples and the drone maps are pieces of the method. During one of our interviews, Putnam broke down the technique for me. It's amazingly complicated. It's large boulders fall out of the ice. And, and at that moment, the moment they melt out of the ice and fall on the landscape, they're exposed to the cosmic ray flux coming from outer space. It's a product of supernovae and distant reaches of, the, of our galaxy. And, the, and these cosmic particles come in at near light speed, incredible energies, and they, they bombard elements in our upper atmosphere and, and, uh, and eventually make it to the surface of the Earth, still with high energies. And, and they have enough energy to blast apart silicon and oxygen and, and other elements and rock. And that produces unique nuclides that we call cosmogenic nuclides. And these build up over time in the rock. And if you can measure the concentration and you know the rate with which they are produced in the rock, then you can calculate how long that rock has been sitting on the landscape since the ice left. And we use beryllium-10 because that's a, 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 that seems to be the workhorse of, the, uh, of this particular method. It's, it's been studied extensively and, um, and it can be measured very precisely and it forms in a very simple and abundant mineral called quartz. And, um, and so that offers us a cosmic clock to determine the age of glacial landforms and to reconstruct past glacial advances and retreats and hence past climate fluctuations. Hey, producer Stephen Lacey here just breaking in to talk about our sponsor very quickly, and that sponsor is Wonder Capital. What if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? That's something we can all get behind, right? Well, introducing Wonder Capital, which is an award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest directly in solar projects across the U.S. Wonder's online investment platform allows you to earn up to 11% annually, and you can diversify your portfolio while also curbing pollution and combating global climate change. Your investment in Wonder's fully managed solar investment fund goes directly to helping U.S. small and medium-sized businesses install solar panels. And as those businesses repay their loans to Wonder, you receive monthly payments directly deposited into your bank account. And best of all, Wonder doesn't take any fees for investing your money. You can create an account for free at wondercapital.com/warm. That's Wonder with a U, W U N D E R, wondercapital.com/warm. Wonder Capital, do well and do good. Now back to the story. The global effort to date the demise of the Ice Age, is being conducted by a wide range of scientists. It's about more than just identifying a proxy, which would be incomplete and not exact. It's about learning how the climate system works. Well, if we, if we can develop a comprehensive um, picture of, of how the Ice Age came to an end, the, at least the chronology with which the Ice Age came to an end, and how rapidly that occurred, that provides this 
extraordinary natural experiment that can help teach us about the general operation of the Earth's climate system. It'll move us one step forward toward a unified um, theory that can explain the dynamics of our climate system that accounts for these these ex extraordinary changes that have occurred that occurred well before the instrumental record. Uh, and that's a necessity. Answering these questions can teach us about how the Earth system responds to the burning of fossil fuels and the thresholds in the climate system that, when pushed, will cause it to abruptly warm. In the past, there have been spectacular reorganizations of the oceans and the atmospheric system. If we can understand those better, through research like what Putnam's doing in Mongolia, we might understand our own warming better. Our last field site is at the entrance of the park. It's on a set of moraines that are a full day's journey from the modern day glacier. Here we find that the shining boulders have petroglyphs, centuries old art, pecked into the rock surface. Deer, a type of wild goat, even people riding a horse. Uh, the other thing is, look at how little rock has been removed. See, so there's this, see the striated surface here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a striation, that's a striation. It's all been scratched by the glacier, well, things in the glacier. Archaeologists and art historians have been trying to determine the precise age of the petroglyphs. They guess them to be between 3,000 and 12,000 years old, but they aren't sure. Putnam's dates can help. The images must be younger. No peckings could have happened inside the glacier, so he provides a window, and the petroglyphs strengthen his research too. And if this was carved 5,000 years ago or 3,000 or whatever, that means there's just there's no erosion here on these boulders. After we left the park, we drove another five days to Ulaanbaatar, the capital city of Mongolia. We stopped for one night in a hotel, my first shower and mattress in a month. Once in the city, Putnam and his team bring their rocks to the Mongolian University of Science and Technology to prepare them to ship. We collected more than 120 samples, which will take years to process. We're in the geology department right now. We'll inventory and weigh the rock, and then we'll uh, pack them up in big blue barrels and ship them to the United States. The students will organize inventory and divide the rocks. Scott Travis is a research assistant sent by the Comer Foundation to operate the drone. Travis is going to an open-air market to buy barrels. Putnam is going to the airport to find an expensive GPS unit that was taken by airport security on our flight to Mongolia. And so then we will all reconvene, I hope, with success on all fronts. Logistics are everything on a trip like this. It takes years of fundraising, six months of initial preparation and getting permits. Ongoing discussions with our Mongolian colleagues about all the, um, the trip logistics and organizing the vehicles and, uh, and planning the route and organizing the uh, uh, horses, camels, guides, and everything we need to get to the, to the sites and also to uh, successfully uh, collect a lot of rock samples, which can be pretty heavy. And all of that involves a heck of a lot of planning. H-1601. Uh, H-1601. At the university, organizing samples takes a few hours. It's relatively simple. Travis is able to get into the market without a problem. I put a microphone on his shirt while he searches for barrels. Well, we're walking towards the main gate, looks like. 
There's a number of vans and vendors. Fruit. Fruit stand. Areas to get drinks. We got oranges, watermelons. Yeah, I think this way. 50. Here's 90. Soon, he's back. He tells me it was really successful. So people won't be able to see you because this is an audio story, but you're a very tall person. And do you, do you feel like when you were walking through, did you kind of stand out in the crowd? It's not like a tourist market. Yeah, I raise a few eyebrows when I walk through a crowd because, you know, they think that I'm um, some American basketball or football player and, and uh, big man. So I'm referred to as big man. <laughs> Hopefully Aaron is having his own success. Well, it sounds like they found the base station and they have it. They're probably stopped at the hotel and dropping it off. And he's probably having a double shot of Chingus uh, vodka right now because, um, you know. Logistics are a big thing. You really never know what could happen. And it can start to wear on people. uh, We're almost 40 days down the road and uh, uh, everybody's still talking and walking. And that's all Aaron ever asked for. You know, it's, it's one thing getting them here, it's another thing getting them back home safe and uh, having everybody have a good experience. And I think he's, uh, we've all accomplished that. So that, that's pretty fantastic. Thanks very much to Kevin Stark for that story. Kevin is an environmental journalist based in Chicago. His travels were funded by the Medal School of Journalism at Northwestern University. Make sure to read his companion piece in Pacific Standard Magazine. You can find it at psmag.com. And if you want to send comments, shoot us an email. We are at ourwarmregards at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. We love interacting with our listeners. Our Warm Regards is the handle there. Finally, we'd like to thank Wonder Capital for their support of the podcast invest directly in solar projects and earn up to 11% annually and diversify your portfolio, curb pollution and combat global climate change. You can find out more and create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. It's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com warm. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time.